I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Bring, bring it bring it to the bring it Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, everyone. I'm Jamie Smith. I host the Bundesliga for Beginners podcast. Well, I did while the Bundesliga was still on, and I'm here today to talk about Burnley. Hi. Thanks for having me on again, Kev. I'm Steve McGookin. I'm a Spurs fan based in Belfast. I was formerly the chairman of the New York Spurs Supporters Club. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining me today, guys. I figure we should start off with the North London Derby, not only because Steve is here, but in theory, the biggest match of the day. It ends up being Tottenham who win it 2-1, uh, thanks to a defensive slip from Arsenal and then a header by Toby Alderweireld. Based on the form of these two sides coming into this match, it seems like a lot of people were surprised by the result. Were either of you? Yeah, I, I was quite surprised. I fancied Arsenal for this one. But I suppose the moral of the story is never have any confidence in Arsenal ever. Um, <laughs> two teams that are obviously going through, and I hate to use this phrase because I think all football teams are always going through it, transition. Um, so it was always going to be interesting to see who came out on top. And for all the chat about Jose Mourinho being finished, yesterday's man, etc., etc. When the chips are down, he invariably comes up with a result. And yes, it was down to a defensive mistake from Arsenal, which seems to happen whenever the pressure's on, and a set piece. But Spurs needed to win the game, and they found a way to win the game. So Mourinho, no doubt, will hail it as his own tactical masterclass. I think Spurs are probably just ahead of Arsenal in terms of development. Obviously, they got to the Champions League final last season, so still a very good team, despite everything that's gone wrong this season but yeah I, I fancied Arsenal it seemed like they had more form more confidence Spurs obviously really struggled against Bournemouth although it turns out Bournemouth are brilliant now which is extremely <laughs> confusing um so yeah a, a bit of a surprise I was quite hoping for a draw when it was like 15 minutes ago at 1-1 from a Burnley point of view that was fine for me because obviously Spurs and Arsenal are both ahead of us in the table and if we are going to sneak into Europe we need to get above both so I was a bit disappointed that Oliver outscored, but on balance, I think Spurs probably had the better of the game, just. Yeah, no, I I, I think that's right. Uh, Jamie, anybody looking at the form book basically going into this one, uh, I was I was surprised and relieved, given that, you know, the two teams' relative form going in. Arsenal looked, uh, you know, in recent games that they'd found a groove a little more. They... They had a very good result and played really well to win at Wolves. And then uh, they were, you know, scoring for fun against Norwich. Whereas, you know, if you look at our past few performances, uh, none of none of them have been particularly satisfying. But they've been, I think, representative of a snapshot of, of what our form has been for the whole of the season. 
Um, you know, our other results obviously went against us uh, the last couple of weeks as well, and that's just compounded the problem. But if if we're honest, I mean, apart from a couple of VAR interventions, and we'll come on to talk about that in a, in a little bit, uh, we, we didn't really deserve anything more than we got out of out of the games against Bournemouth and, and Sheffield United. I mean, we didn't register a, a single shot on target in that nil-nil draw against Bournemouth. And then, um, and then against Sheffield United, we, you know, we were plagued by bad defending that, you know, the heads went down any chances that we did have we didn't make the most of so you know it, it wasn't made any better when they they spanked Chelsea by the same score um that was that's just a testament to how you know how good and resilient a team they are I mean Mourinho I think was absolutely right when he said uh, that he was disturbed by how much more desire they had to win that game than we did and that's uh unfortunately that's been a an all too common thread through our season. Um, I mean, obviously we, we bounced back a little bit in that Everton game, which was, had really become a must win by that stage. And uh, even though we, we, we got the win, we were hardly convincing. And, you know, maybe that, that dust up between Hugo and Son was, uh, was something of a, of a spark as people have said. Uh, I mean, talking about Son, uh, the past few games, you know, obviously hasn't been as effective as he had been earlier in the season, although I thought that he did well today and, Obviously, the players are reacting to the change from from pre to post break in in different ways. Uh, Harry, you can tell, still not a hundred percent, but you can see he's he's improving with each outing. And and I thought I thought he was actually at his best since the restart um, today. So I, the funny thing was, I watched uh, today's game with my dad, and uh, he wanted to see the end of the test match. So for about ten minutes at the in the middle of the second half, he was flicking back and forth to check you know, whether whether the West Indies had actually won yet, and and it, it it was funny because it had that same sense of inevitability. Um, you know, we were going back and forth to the to the football, and it looked like it was inevitable that it was going to finish one one. That both teams were basically cancelling each other out. But then I was thinking about it afterwards, and, and rather than a, a, a cricket analogy, it, it actually has more of an NBA kind of feel to it, where uh, you know everything consequential in the game happens in the final minutes, and that's mm-hmm. essentially that's essentially how how today worked out. Um, you know, uh, Mourinho talked about uh, after the Sheffield United game about changing the soul of the club. You know, and, and this is a sort of typical Josie speak, really. Um, but you know, you, you have to you have to get to the point where you say something has to change. I mean, the, the, we can't go on being as inconsistent and and consistently bad as we have been recently. And as for that, I mean, we were talking about this beforehand. But as for that, Graham Sunez quote. Uh, you know where he said earlier this week, if you were a if you were a new manager, would you want to take over at Arsenal or Spurs? Uh, neither, to be honest. If if it was, <laughs> I'd, I'd actually much rather take over at Man United or or more likely at Man City uh, at the moment. And I saw that Pochettino was being linked with City um, uh, this week after uh, after Pep goes. Uh, and, and you know, obviously, you know, we'll talk about the the fair play ruling or the you know the, that's coming up, but um, but that'll have an impact on how players and potential managers look at that whole situation. But but between uh, Spurs and Arsenal right now, I think as Jamie said, it's it's probably as with most things uh, with these teams, it, it's a toss up. 
you know, um, that, that they could lose Obama Yang, we could lose Kane. You know, neither of us are, are going to be in the Champions League this year. Um, maybe not even in Europe at all, although I think obviously they have a route through the FA Cup, um, which is a possibility. Uh, we both still have some good players coming through developmentally. Uh, Arteta seems to be more prepared than Jose to give to give them some playing time. Uh, but you know the, the difference I think is that's is the experience, uh, the manage, managerial experience. I mean, we we have the advantage I think of having a manager who knows how to win. We just don't have players who do. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that's that's where we are. Um, I, I mean, today today's a perfect case in point. I think it, it, as I was saying to you earlier, Kev, you know, it, it could have gone could have gone either way today, and you wouldn't really have been surprised by by either outcome. Yeah. But uh, no, I mean, set it set against that. Of course, I suppose Arsenal don't have an Amazon documentary coming out. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> true. Less potential for embarrassment on their side. <laughs> Mourinho certainly did not seem a fan of that documentary in his uh, pre-match press conference. Uh, Jamie, same kind of uh, thought. Wh- which of the two clubs would you rather take over in theory, or which do you think uh, is better set up for the coming years in terms of manager? Or their ownership or their squad. Yeah, I think I think a lot of it is down to the financial situation. Um, it seems like Arsenal are slightly better positioned now. I know there was something to do with refinancing a loan or something. I don't really understand what was going on, but people on Arsenal Twitter seem very excited about it. Spurs are obviously in the same sort of position Arsenal were a few years ago, where they've built the new stadium. And in time, that will be extremely profitable, but not right now when there's nobody allowed in. (laughs) Um, And obviously, you've got to pay for that stadium. There was a lot of talk about a naming rights deal. That hasn't happened yet. So I I wouldn't be surprised if Spurs have a similar few years to how Arsenal had after they made their move to the Emirates. Um, And as we've seen this season, it's it's very competitive for the top four. So I think short term, Spurs and Arsenal are focusing on trying to get back into the Champions League rather than being title contenders. Liverpool are obviously so far away this season. And City, the two seasons before, those two have just been by far and away the best teams in the league. So it's a bit of a pipe dream, I think, for Spurs or Arsenal to think that they can compete with those two right now. Um I don't really know much about the the young players at Spurs. Obviously, Jose, despite having his database of young players that he claimed credit for at Man United, he hasn't really <laughs> done that at Spurs, has he? So um, Arsenal seem to be in a better place there, although I'm not massively convinced by some of their young players, to be honest, like Joe Willock. I don't really mm-hmm. think he's that good. Gwendouzi, I don't really think he's that good. Uh, Saka is a proper player, but a lot of the young players that are playing at Arsenal, I think they're kind of just playing because they don't really have anyone else um so it, it's a bit of a toss-up what happens with the young players at Arsenal I suppose um but I think um if you ask me which of these two teams is going to get back into the Champions League first it's it's 50-50 really they're probably both going to be fighting for fourth Man United looks strong again now Chelsea mm. spending in the summer so it's going to be very congested um Spurs have been in the top four more recently, but how much of that was down to the Pochettino factor? It's it's, it's really hard to say. For sure, it's 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 definitely tight, and I think that's why, uh, on top of it just being a derby, it, it's always so competitive as we seem to continue to be in around the same spaces, even though uh, Arsenal had fallen out of that Champions League uh, pace for a couple of years there. Uh, what we're talking about 
the Champions League spaces. Uh, City should find out their cast ruling by the time uh, you're hearing this, people at home. Uh, so rather than speculate on whether or not that will come or won't come, because there's really no point in that and then us being wrong uh, within 12 hours of recording, um, I just wanted to talk to you guys about those last two Champions League spots this year. Obviously, we've already done it if it's top five, and I think that's a lot easier uh, to squeeze Manchester United in there on their really hot form. But today, uh, Manchester United done an incredible favor um, by Leicester being absolutely drubbed by Bournemouth, which I doubt many people saw coming. Uh, so with them continuing to fall, Manchester United continuing to rise, Chelsea basically hit and miss all over the place. If you had to guess right now who would finish third and fourth, assuming that there isn't an extra Champions League spot, who would you guys pick for it? Yeah, well, first and foremost, I hope that Cass do hold firm. Otherwise, I think football is just going to be a mess if FFP is just basically thrown in the bin. Um, so hopefully that will happen and it will still be fifth. And from a Burnley point of view, that's good as well because there'll be an extra Europa League place further down the league. But anyway, to actually answer the question that you asked, um, <laughs> I think Man United look like they're definitely going to be in the top four. They play Southampton, don't they, on Monday night. Uh, so they should win that one, which would put them into the top four, taking advantage of Chelsea and Leicester um, having really bad results away from home this weekend. Leicester, I'd, I can't really get my head around Leicester. Like, they were so good for the first half of the season. And since lockdown, they've just been terrible. Like What was Kasper Schmeichel playing at today? Why is Sionchu getting himself sent off and then banned for the rest of the season? Like, just a, a complete loss of everything. <laughs> Apart from Vardy remembering how to do goals, Leicester just seems to have completely lost their way. Um, and as for Chelsea, they're so vulnerable defensively. I think it's a bit of an indictment of some of the other teams that Chelsea look like they could still get into the top four. A team can't defend like that and get in the Champions League. It seems wrong. So maybe that's just a sign of Spurs and Arsenal being so far off the pace that they've not been able to push to those top four places. Um so, yeah, if I had to put money on it, I would be saying Man United maybe even finish third. Um, they're certainly the form team of those three. And Leicester just seem like they're falling like a stone. So I think they've got the toughest running as well. Um, so I would say probably Man United and Chelsea to get the last two places. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with that. I think Man United will finish third. Um, but I, I, what I kind of am holding out hope for is the last game of the season uh, Chelsea play Wolves uh, and there might be there might be something riding on that I think Wolves have had a really good season and uh, although they uh, Jamie they play you in the next game I think don't they so yeah I, yeah they're at the turf on Wednesday so that's a really yeah, good game so it, it, and and then uh, they I think their other game is against Palace before they before they play Chelsea but uh, I, I would like to see them uh, get at least a Europa place if if possible I I also uh, fear the worst along with you and I think that the court will probably. Uh, rule that yes, there has been wrongdoing, but uh, given the um, extraneous circumstances of COVID, uh, that they might um, defer any punishment, and that would uh, it would be rather disappointing I, if that were to happen. Um, but yeah, you never know, and I, I do think United, and then probably Chelsea in fourth. Uh, although, as I say, I'm holding out hope that 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 uh, Chelsea Wolves game on the last. Uh, on the last day of the season might actually turn out to be um, uh, more tense than, than you would normally assume that it would. 
Yeah, it's it's definitely going to be tight there in that race, and uh, you wouldn't want to be Lester. Apologies to our good friend Jim. Um, next, I wanted to talk a little bit about VAR. We've obviously tried to avoid it for most of the season because if you wanted to call out the bad calls every week, you'd do it every week. Uh, but this week seemed particularly bad. Um, not only do we have the Crystal Palace uh, one at the weekend, but also on Thursday, history was made. VAR got a goal wrong in every single match. Uh, according to the Premier League Match Center afterwards, uh, and all three of them were penalty calls. <laughs> Not a, a, obviously a good time for VAR, so much so that FIFA has come out and said that they would like to kind of take over and, and kind of establish a worldwide system for VAR rather than all of these kind of localized versions that, for example, in the Premier League perhaps haven't been the best. Uh, so just curious, with no changes seemingly coming from within the English game, if if a takeover of the system by FIFA would be welcome from you guys. Yeah, I mean, I've I have been broadly pro VAR, but I'm starting to switch over because it's the whole point of VAR was to get decisions right, right? And if VAR isn't doing that, then we're just disrupting games, making players have goals disallowed for essentially nothing. And some games are just becoming a bit of a farce. Um so I think the handball law is a really big one. The change that they made to that rule has just been awful. So we're getting goals disallowed because balls have touched, like the Bournemouth goal, the overhead kick that flicks a hand on the way through. That was going to be a goal anyway. What's the point in disallowing it? Um, the Spurs won the other day when Lucas was on the floor. Someone kicked the ball at his shoulder. That got disallowed. <laughs> Sacco scored for Palace today with his shoulder. That got disallowed. Like the handball or just needs massively changing because it's an absolute farce. Um, I think the issue is different um, interpretations. So I would welcome it being more centralised and have everyone much clearer about what what VAR is there for. I mean, at the start of the season, there was a lot of talk about clear and obvious errors, wasn't it? That was what it was for. But that's not for all VARs. So offside is either offside or not. And we had like a few months where people were being offside by a toenail or an armpit or a tuft <laughs> of hair. And that was ridiculous as well. But that was not clear and obvious because that's not part of the offside. Offside is you're offside or you're not. So I think clarification would be really helpful. Um, but I think the other thing that's important to point out with this is that it's still human officials making decisions. So they're still going to be fallible. And we are now using more officials, aren't we? So although the VARs are still Premier League officials, yeah. they're now covering a lot more games, I assume, because there's an extra official needed for every game. Um, so I don't think the standard of refereeing is great in the Premier League to start with. I think you're getting referees who aren't necessarily equipped for the VAR part of the job. It seems like a different role to being an on-field referee, so I'm not sure why they've got the same people doing it. Surely there should be like specialist VAR people. Um, one of the pundits on TV this week suggested that there should be an ex-footballer in the VAR room because they'd be able to give more of a perspective about things like diving, when players are trying to cheat the officials, things like the Bruno one. that was just obviously not a penalty because of the way he fell. A footballer would spot that probably better than an official. So I think that was quite a good decision, um, a good suggestion even. Um, so... I'm loath to blame it all on VAR. I think it's the way it's been implemented. The handball 
law has to change. So VAR's just sort of doing its job with disallowing that because it's just what the rule is. Um, but I've got also got some sympathy because it's the first season it's being used. There's always going to be some teething problems, but if you're getting decisions wrong in every game, then it does signal that something's gone really wrong and there does need to be massive changes. Yeah, I, I, I think that's right. I was also very pro-technology when it was brought in or pro the idea of technology. And I, I still generally am, although I've moderated my uh, my opinion based on the execution, which which across the board has has been terrible. And, uh, and I think Jose uh, actually made a fair point um, about the ref no longer being the ref, uh, that the decision-making power has now shifted to the to the VAR team, and uh, and as you say, at least the league now is admitting that they haven't um, exercised it particularly well over the past few games. But the problem is, what what can you do when the situation on the pitch doesn't reflect a retrospective decision? It doesn't help the team that's been wronged at the time at the time when they need the help. I mean, um, going back to our, our game against Sheffield United, I mean, I, I think we all agree that, that our goal should have stood, uh, the one that came off Lucas Moura's shoulder. Uh, but more crucially, I think, that, you know, uh, if you think a little bit later in the game, Ollie Norwood probably should have had a second yellow card for an elbow on, on Son. Uh, so obviously, if we had started the second half 1-1 and them down to 10, then, it, you know, that's a different story. But again, that's the sort of thing that, that it is an issue first and foremost for the ref. And it threw, throws up this idea that, you know, refs are reluctant to give somebody a second yellow, like straight after they've already given a first yellow. Uh, it, it, you shouldn't even have that that conversation. It's like, well, if, if, if that was an offense that deserved a yellow card, it shouldn't matter whether you've been booked before. So, you know, that's something that, that could be uh, helped by VAR, I think. But and then obviously in the in the Bournemouth game, Kane, you know, should have had a penalty. But at, at the end of the day, you know, we we should have been good enough to win that game even without um, VAR and, and, and we just weren't. So um, I think the, the important thing is that, that there's still no sense of consistency in how VAR is being used. And unless we're saying that it's now consistently wrong more, more than it's right. Um, <laughs> And, and, you know, you're never going to eradicate controversy, as Jimmy says. You know, we're still talking about human judgment here. Um, but to, to an extent now, VAR, the, the, the operation and implementation of VAR is undermining any value that it brings to the to the situation. I really like the um, I really like the, the idea of an ex-player being in the box uh, as well as the referees. I, I don't do you, either of you know if. If that's done in any other league, because that's you know, if if FIFA can come in and 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 institute some kind of worldwide consistency, that then that would be a good thing. And maybe you know, maybe having an ex-player uh, to contribute to um, to the conversation would be would be a positive thing. Ex-players probably wouldn't want to do that job. Probably. I mean, yeah. <laughs> if you were a former Premier League player and someone wants you to go and sit in a bar room on a Sunday afternoon for probably not very much money when you can do punditry or right. go and play golf or like, I like the idea but I, I think you'd probably struggle yeah. to get people and, to actually do it and it, w- it would probably have to be anonymous as well you wouldn't be able to say who you, you know who's who's the ex-player yeah, exactly. in the bar room today <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, and then you'd also have to deal with uh, bias and stuff. And so do you have enough players to make sure the players never overlapping with the club that they formerly played for? Either direction. Maybe they hated their time at a club and would always go against them. <clears throat> uh, I guess my just overall thought on this is if FIFA's the one going, wow, you guys really messed this up, uh, it's probably not a good look. So uh, hopefully they can figure it out. But yeah, not not entirely optimistic at the moment. And yes, a lot of really controversial if not terrible calls have been made of late uh, I wanted to wrap up by talking about Sheffield United obviously they have had an, an incredible season then they had a rough restart then um, after playing Tottenham seem to have turned their their season around and are now pushing themselves back up the table after their big win against Chelsea there were some shouts to doing the rounds uh, about whether or not Chris Wilder should be manager of the season just curious if you guys think that he should be and if not who should yeah, I mean, I think it's a shout. There's been a few names that I've seen banded around. Someone did a column in a newspaper over here saying that Steve Bruce should be in the conversation. Um, I think Steve Bruce has done Everyone a pretty good job. Everyone thought they were going down. Yeah, yeah, well, I think Steve Bruce has done a pretty good job at Newcastle, but I think that's probably a bit of a stretch. Um, I don't think you can overstate the job that Chris Wilder's done. Sheffield United were roundly expected to get relegated again straight away. That's never been on the cards of some incredible results like the win over Chelsea like you say after lockdown it looked like they were going to fall away and that this sort of second half of the season was going to be really bad for them and they've turned it around again so I think if it, if you were talking about a top three I think Chris Wilder's certainly in it I can't see anyone other than Jurgen Klopp winning it which is probably fair enough given how good Liverpool have been this season but if you talk about overperformance Liverpool were probably expected to finish second and they're going to finish first so that's not that much of an overperformance simplified way of looking at it where Sheffield United are going to finish 10 plus places above where everyone expected so yeah, I think Wilder's done an incredible job and there should certainly be recognition of that whether it's an individual award or just in people like us saying that he's done a really good job yeah I know I think that's right it's always you know difficult to acknowledge relative accomplishments in a season where one team runs away with the title in the way that uh, in the way that Liverpool have um I, I think if you know Klopp for whatever whatever reason wouldn't win it then Wilder is certainly a, a very good shout I I think also if if Nuno gets Wolves back into Europe uh and particularly if they if they can nick that last Champions League spot which is still a possibility uh, then that will be a season's accomplishment worth uh, worth celebrating, certainly. But yeah, I, I, I can't see anyone other than Klopp winning it. Just glad you mentioned Wolves, so I can mention this random stat. Wolves have won two matches this season in July, and they were different <laughs> Julys. <laughs> yeah, pretty impressive stuff, obviously. Uh, the Europa League play-in matches happened last July, yeah. and they have now won this one. So uh, credit to them for going a full 12 months in one season. Um, all right, we will take a quick break, and then we'll be back with club-specific questions for each of our guests. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, and we are back, Jamie. We will start off with you talking about Burnley by talking about Everton. Uh, Jordan Pickford has not particularly covered himself in glory of late. Almost let one slip straight through his fingers and into his own goal uh, this weekend. There's this other English goalkeeper having to play for your club. Uh, do you think that the tides are starting to turn on who should be England's number one at this point? Yeah, I mean, is there anyone left who still thinks Jordan Pickford should be England's number one? Like, it, it just seems His mom? so. <laughs> I mean, maybe. I think his, his form for <laughs> his form all season has just been so poor. Um, Everson obviously really underperformed, but I think a big factor of that has been Pickford's inconsistent form. The problem with Pickford is he's capable of making brilliant saves, but then errors like today when he's got himself out of jail. Um, I think a big problem with Pickford as well is the way he reacts to things. His mentality, to me, is quite weak. So having made the fumble and then recovered on the line, he was then laughing about it because he got away with it. Like You still made the mistake. Like You're lucky. That just didn't really sit right with me. That seemed a bit strange. Um, and obviously, Nick Pope's had a fantastic season. Um, on track to win the Golden Glove. I think I read a stat that nobody outside the top six has ever won the Golden Glove since it came into being in 2004, or whatever it was. Oh, wow. so the fact that he's even in contention for that award is phenomenal. Um, I think they're very different goalkeepers as well. Pickford is obviously hailed for apparently being good with his feet, which I think people probably overestimate, um, given some of his kicking that we've seen recently. But the thing is, Nick Pope isn't really asked to do that at Burnley. His distribution is very much long. We don't ask him to play it out from the back, so it seems unfair to judge him against Pickford, who does that for club and country. Um yeah, it's just a bit of a nonsense. Like someone on telly this week was saying Pickford should still be number one for the for the Euros because he's got the experience. Well, he's only got the experience because he started at the last World Cup when he had no experience. So that doesn't really make sense. <laughs> like if you made the decision now and made Pope or even Dean Henderson the new number one, then they've got a year of internationals. Um, so I think Southgate really needs to think about making the call sooner rather than later. Um, I think it's wrong to assume that it's Pickford's shirt when the Euros are a year away and the World Cup is two years away and his form has fallen off a cliff since then. I don't think you can keep your team in an international 11 three years after a tournament just because you saved a penalty in a shootout. It just seems to be a complete nonsense to me. Yeah, and obviously for you, you would back Pope. Any any thoughts that maybe Henderson sneaks in there as well after he's, his incredible season for Sheffield United, which we kind of just touched on? Yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously, like it's difficult for me to not be biased, and I've seen a lot more of Nick Pope than uh, than Henderson. I don't think there's that much between Pope and Henderson. Pope's had another season of the Premier League number one, whereas Henderson's in his first. So talk about experience, Pope's got that on him. 
Um, I think it'll be interesting to see what Man United do with Henderson next season. It sounds like they might send him back to Sheffield United. They're not ready to manage that transition with David De Gea. Um, so I think it's a toss-up. I mean, I'd go with Pope. I think he dominates his box a bit more than Henderson. In terms mm. of shot stopping, they're probably about the same. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a tough one. But I think they need to... I, honestly, Pickford's lucky to still be playing for Everton, let alone England. Yeah, certainly not had the best year. And this is an excellent week to make the case for Pope, who was absolutely brilliant uh, in your draw against Liverpool. Figure we should probably touch on that a bit. The first time since January 2019 uh, that Liverpool didn't win a match at Anfield. What were your thoughts on that match? Yeah, I actually quite fancied us to get a result, which is easy to say now. But Yeah, I think you tweeted it in advance even. Yeah, I did. I mean, I wasn't entirely serious telling people to bet on Burnley to win, but we didn't lose, so I was kind of right. (laughs) But Liverpool without Henderson, I think we've seen the games that he's missed is not the same team, so I think they were a bit vulnerable. Their levels have obviously dropped a little bit since winning the title, which is understandable. Um, but I think Burnley were fantastic. Obviously, Nick Pope's made two sensational saves in the first half, and without those, we could have been 3-0, 4-0 down at half-time, so you have to mention that, but the second half, it was a completely different game. I think we were probably the better team after the break. We could have won it at the end. Goodmanson hit the bar with a very good chance after Alisson had been a bit flappy from across, which he seems to always do against us. Um, and it was just an outstanding performance coming off the back of a hard-fought win at West Ham as well, so it's been a really good week. Something like 11 points from the last 15. Only lost once since February or something, so the form has been outstanding, and considering the problems we've had with renewing contracts and various players being injured, and to be able to go to Liverpool and get a point, it's just fantastic and a real testament to the work that Sean Dyche has done and how hard this team have continued to work in a period of the season when it would have been quite easy for them to do the same as, say, Palace and just go, well, we're safe, we're mid-table, we're just going to lose all our matches from now on. Yeah, and then you mentioned um, needing to get ahead of both Tottenham and Arsenal. Uh, goal difference swing, probably not going to happen in time. Uh, any any dregs of hope for, for getting all the way back up there, or are you starting to think maybe that's gone? Yeah, I think um, a couple of weeks ago, we played Sheffield United at home and drew after being 1-0 up. And Dwight McNeil had a really good chance to make it 2-0. And it looks like that might be what makes the difference. You look at the table, we'd have been on 52. Um, and Sheffield United would have been on 53. So it would have been a lot tighter. Um, but as as we mentioned earlier, Wolves come to the turf on Wednesday. If we were to win that game, then I think it's wide open. A lot depends on the cast ruling as well. If there's an extra place to play for, I think that helps. Um, our end to the season is quite kind. We've got Norwich and then Brighton. So two very winnable games there. If we were to get a point against Wolves and then win the last two, I think we're in the hunt. Um, but I think we probably are going to miss out, maybe even regardless of the casting. I wouldn't be surprised if we finished maybe ninth and we're just a couple of points away. Um, but to be honest, I think people inside the club, certainly Dash, would be quite happy with missing out because... The Europa League could be a bit of a slog. We don't know what the shape of it's going to be like next season, if it's going to be changed with delayed starts of the season, whether it's going to be qualifiers. Like, don't even know what that's going to look like. So we struggled a bit having qualified last time. It affected our league form. I would certainly welcome getting back into Europe, but if we did miss out, I think the club would probably be, eh, it's fine. 
<laughs> yeah, certainly a good season from you, uh, regardless. And yeah, I guess just aiming for a top half finish, and then if results fall your way, then they fall your way, and then you might get dragged yeah, into a half. European competition. Top half exactly would be absolutely fantastic. You said to us at the start of the season, you're gonna finish tenth. We'd have been absolutely thrilled with that. Our main objective is always going to be just to stay up first and foremost. Mm. Um, I think you can look at the league this season, and there's probably. 10 bad teams and then we're the worst of the good teams <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i think it looks like 10th is going to be the worst that we finish and that's an absolutely fantastic achievement yeah currently five points ahead of everton all right steve i'll come to you now to talk about tottenham as we do um, i wanted to talk to you first about Mourinho. we we had initially planned to do a segment monday after the match because if we had lost that match we would have fallen into the bottom half of the table that place where, you know, we were when Poch got sacked. Um, but then win that one, disappointing draw to Bournemouth, but then obviously the Derby win today. What have you made of Mourinho post-restart and how he's had the team playing? Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's an interesting it's an interesting dilemma. Let me let me just follow up very quickly before I address that on, on something that, uh, that Jamie said about the Burnley-Liverpool game. Uh, I absolutely uh, commend Burnley for the way they played. And I thought it was a little unfair when one of the headlines in the paper afterwards was, uh, or online, I think it was, was uh, that Burnley didn't have a prayer without Pope. Uh, I thought that, that was a little unfair, uh, if, if a li- not a little sacrilegious. Um, <laughs> of a but at we least... We didn't have anything to do in the second half. I we didn't have anything to do. No, I, I think it was more a, an overzealous sub-editor sort of looking for, uh, you know, religious yeah. connotation. But uh, no, congratulations. That was, that was a tremendous achievement. And as you say, your run-in is actually particularly good, especially if you can get a, if you can get a win against Wolves, uh, then that, that sort of propels you to the, to the, uh, the upper part of the, uh, the table. So, yeah, uh, Mourinho, yeah. Um, can't deny, Kev, you know, I mean, we've, we've qualified for the Champions League uh, the last four seasons. That has gone this year. Obviously, we're, we're also, we're on course for our lowest finish for, for probably 12 seasons. Uh, so, you know, something has to change structurally. Um, but also, I, I, I think the worrying thing for all Spurs fans is that we're, we're just not an awful lot of fun to watch at the moment. Our, our games are frustrating. They're, uh, uh, they're sort of squeezing out results whenever we um, probably don't deserve them. Um, and, and I noticed that, you know, Mourinho talks about uh, the, the, these things like the psychological profile of his squad. And and I sort of hinted at it earlier when I said you know we have a we have a manager now who knows how to win but we don't have players who know how to win so there's a sort of a hint there of any changes that he might make in the off season or the the changes to the extent that he's able to make changes given you know a how much we have to spend and what the um, what the, the the European transfer situation is going to be uh, I mean we still don't know how uh, COVID is going to affect. Um, uh, uh, whether or not we have Europa League at all uh, in, in next season, or how it's going to be structured. So um, he's the thing is you can't deny the guy's record. You know when when we were talking at one stage about uh, possibly Fabio Capello coming in. Uh, I mean this has gone back years and years, and it was you know we were saying you want somebody that can come in and sort of slap their medals on the on the table on the dressing room table and say this is why you listen to me and this is definitely what um what Mourinho is able to do but uh it hasn't it hasn't paid 
paid off so far? And really, were we expecting it to? Uh, the, the, the reasons why Levy went out and got Mourinho when he did were because he didn't want someone else to, to get him. Uh, it sounded like uh, Arsenal were in line to, to at least make him an offer. Uh, and Levy thought he would uh, he would sort of preempt that by jumping in and getting him. But, you know, that's that's all water under the bridge now, apart from the fact that it has uh, changed the relationship between the fans and how they thought about Potch. You know, we <laughs> not wanting to sort of, you know, provoke too much of a reaction. It's like, well, would you take Potch back tomorrow? And most people would say, well, yes, in a heartbeat. Of course we would. But. You know, as long as we both learn something on either side, it's like a bad breakup. Do you uh, do you go back to someone knowing that you really uh, you feel attracted to that particular person? But uh, there's a reason why you weren't together. So, yeah, I, it's 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 hard to know with with Mourinho. Uh, you know that he has the record. He has the uh, the ability to to get winning performances out of players. Uh, but it's not it's not pretty. Yeah, uh, obviously, as I said, with just just a couple of results, if they had gone the other way, people probably would have been asking Mourinho's for, for Mourinho's head. But now, uh, with the Derby win, that's probably put yeah. that off for a while. He continues to be adamant that he will win a trophy at Tottenham. Do you think that that's the case? Uh, it would not surprise me because that's what he does. He knows how to win trophies, but uh, whether he can win with the current um, the current squad, uh, that's another. That's another issue altogether. Um, you have to then sort of say, well, does he know who he wants to bring in and what roles he wants them to play? Um, you have to assume that someone as experienced as, as Mourinho does know, does have a strategy in his mind even now for for how he wants the team to set up next season. But I think we're getting away from an important, an important point, Kev, and that's the fact that, <coughs> excuse me, the players that we have, the squad that we have should be achieving. And they underachieved with Potch, and they they're underachieving with uh, with Jose. So there's questions to be asked on both sides of the ledger. Um, but yeah, I, I, again, we don't know if we're going to have a League Cup next year. Uh, we don't know how the, se- the how the season will play out, how the fixture list is going to be affected. Um, if we if if there's a Europa League, uh, that would be the the tournament or the competition that I would probably expect Jose to go all out to win, even though it's not um, if we were able to get into it, which is still a, a very very outside shout at the moment. Uh, so you know th- th- there's a possibility that he can he can turn something around next season, but uh, it hasn't been an auspicious start. Let's put it that way. Yeah, it'll definitely be an adventure. I don't think there's going to be a lot of reinforcing in the summer, though he said that Daniel Levy was upset with how things were going. So <laughs> I, I don't know if we've ever publicly seen an upset Daniel Levy. I mean, we will when the Amazon documentary comes out, I'm sure. Uh, and we miss out on Dabala and Bruno Fernandez. But <laughs> um, yeah, so we'll, we'll we'll see how all that goes. If, if him being upset means spending money, that would be delightful. But I'm yeah. certainly not expecting it. Uh, all right, we will go from there talking about players that Tottenham might bring in to talking about each of our clubs and who we might rather see the back of. Uh, Jamie, let's start with you and Burnley. Yeah, you sent the rundown over earlier, and I was racking my brains because we hardly got any players. And I was like, we're not going to lose any of our players. <laughs> and then I remembered Ben Gibson. 
I was like, yes, I'm going to get to spend five minutes talking about how I hate Ben Gibson. Brilliant. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Ben Gibson, what's that all about? Um, essentially, we've got a situation now where the club captain, Ben Mee, is injured, going to miss the rest of the season. We have Kevin Long, who has always done a reasonably good job in the 10 years that he's been at the club without ever being a regular starter. He's filling in. And Ben Gibson, a £15 million joint club record signing, is not even training with us. So, yeah, it's all very strange. Um, Nothing has come out yet about why this situation has arisen. Um, Obviously, when Gibson came in, me and James Sarkovsky, not me, Ben me, um, were the, the pairing, and that's continued to be the case. I think when me got injured, it was uh, the first game that he'd missed in 18 months or something. Him and Sarkovsky played every minute of this season before he got that injury. So it's <laughs> he plays in a position where you don't rotate, so he was always going to have to be patient, and it seems like he's been unable to do that. Um, which is a shame because Tarkovsky sat on the bench for 12 months, 18 months when he signed. Michael Keane was in the team and couldn't be shifted. So Tarkovsky had to wait his turn. When Keane left, Tarkovsky was ready to come in. Since then, Tarkovsky has been outstanding and he's got an England team. So yeah, from Ben Gibson's point of view, I, I don't really understand what's happened. There's been allusions to an incident on the training ground in the media, but that's as much as we've got in terms of detail. He basically went back to Borough, his old club, and he was training there for a bit. Then there was a report this week that with Borough changing manager, Jonathan Wilgate was out and Neil Warnock was in, that Gibson wasn't even training at Borough now. So one of our main assets in terms of cash spent on them is apparently not even training as a footballer right now when we have a hole in the middle of our defence where he plays. It's an absolutely ridiculous situation. Um, and I just feel like right now it would have been the perfect opportunity to get this sorted out. With Ben Mee injured, surely we should have said to Ben Gibson, look, there's been a problem. There's a place in the team now. Come back and train. Make sure you get fit. We'll give you a couple of games at the end of the season. But whether we've offered that opportunity and he's rejected it or there's been no talks whatsoever, all we get from Daesh is that it will be reassessed at the end of the season. So very, very confusing and frustrating situation. Burnley aren't the sort of club where you can have £15 million of player sat at home watching Sky Sports News all day or whatever Ben Gibson's doing. Um, so, yeah, pretty infuriating, really. And I've got myself really wound up about it. So thanks for asking this question. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, we always love giving you an opportunity uh, to vent on the show. Uh, Steve, there's a lot of players at Tottenham that are probably considered surplus, but a lot of them were, were let go of last year already. Is there anybody at Tottenham in particular that you wouldn't mind not being at Tottenham? Well, I, again, going back to the what I said earlier about the, the, the group of players that we have right now really should be doing better than than uh, than they are. So there has to be a, an examination. There has to be a look at, at why that's the case. I mean, I, I love Toby and, and Jan, uh, always have loved their partnership at the back, but I certainly don't want to go through another contract situation that we uh, that we ended up with. And, and I don't think Mourinho will, will let that happen. Um, I mean, if, if Aurier was to go and we could make more use of Ryan Sessegnon, possibly, uh, you know, that I'd probably be okay with that. I think uh, we still have to see 
um, whether uh, Mourinho really wants to uh, per- persist with Ndombele and how he wants to use him and, and that sort of thing. So, um, uh, but apart from that, I mean, I, I just would like to see him um, give give younger players like Troy Parrott. And I know Oliver Skip came on uh, at the end of today's game, but I, I'd just like to see him uh, <clears throat> use the younger players a little better. I know uh, Mourinho has said that uh, Tanganga would be would be back from injury at least before the end of the season. But, but then you have to ask why why would we risk players between now and then if there's really nothing at stake for us to to play for? So um, you know, it, it it again, it's not just who it's not just who leaves, but you have to ask who do who do we bring in? And and you know, Mourinho has been very obtuse about this idea of players having the right mentality. And and I know there's been some talk about Hoiburn, uh, 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 the idea of Actually, buying another club's captain actually makes sense to me, but I, I can't see I can't see Southampton selling him. Um, uh, I you know I have mixed feelings about buying players from from clubs that are potentially relegated, uh, but uh, you know the two Norwich fullbacks, uh, Max Aaron's and, and uh, Northern Ireland's Jamal Lewis, mm. certainly worth a look. I think maybe Cantwell as well, but uh, but I think it, it's all going to depend on how the operation of the transfer market comes back, both you know domestically and 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 within Europe, and what what clubs think about how to approach it financially, and and how much we're really going to have to spend. Do we have to sell to buy? Uh, you know, the, another possibility is do we do we go back in for Grealish? Although after that penalty claim today, he'll probably end up at United. Um, so hmm. you know. And there's a, there's an awful lot of there's an awful, awful lot of uh, unticked boxes uh, to go and and I think um, it's not like Mourinho it's not like our situation was suddenly sprung on Mourinho he knew when he took the job what the situation was going to be for the next two seasons obviously the um, COVID and and uh, the the structure of the European competitions has, has uh, changed things the in a way that was unpredictable but. You know he's he's an experienced manager, and that's when you need someone who knows the sort of squad that they want to build. So uh, we'll we'll just see uh, who he who he goes for, or you know, does he try and get more out of the players that we already have? Um, as I say, you know they they they've been arguably underachieving. We overachieved to get to the Champions League final, and now we've sort of reverted the type a little bit. So um, hmm. so yeah, I mean, I think the one thing I'm I'm particularly keen on is just getting more of the developmental players uh into the squad and getting them uh, uh time in the first team and again uh that that's where if we were to get into the Europa League that would be an opportunity to to use that to to give them more minutes and we don't know what's going to happen with the League Cup uh next season as well so uh just a matter of putting together a, a squad that uh, that blends as well as they possibly can and and let uh, let Jose um, bring his personality to bear. Yeah. All right. Well, we will wrap up with match previews. Obviously, match is continuing to come thick and fast. Only about 15 days till the end of the season. Uh, so pretty quickly. But we'll just do the midweek ones for now. Uh, you've already touched on it a couple times there, Jamie. But hosting Wolves, obviously, a, a really big one. Yeah, yeah. Big game for, for both teams, obviously. Stuff still to play for. Um, we're good to see a match where there is both teams still fighting for for points because I think there are going to be quite a lot of games in the next week or so where one team is just sort of going through the motions. Um, and hopefully that'll be the case when we play Brighton and Norwich in our last two games. Um, I think Wolves are a really interesting team because they'll play three at the back and we always play 
4-4-2. So there's going to be a tactical adjustment there. Um, I'm a big fan of Raul Jimenez up front. I think he's one of the best tracks in the Premier League right now. So how we handle him is going to be really important. Adama Traore is obviously unplayable on his day. So that's going to be really interesting as well. Um, I think it'll probably be a, a second half game. I think Wolves tend to finish strongly. We certainly finish strongly, so I probably won't even put the game on until half-time, to be honest, because it'll just be nil-nil and nothing will have happened. <laughs> All right, and then, uh, Steve, we get to play Newcastle, who uh, Jake last week said that they've just about uh, down tools for the year. They're, they're on the beach already. It seems to be that we tend to struggle in the matches we should win, like Bournemouth, and then <laughs> step up against teams like Manchester United and, and then obviously Arsenal today. Uh, do you think we'll actually show up for this one? I, I don't know. I think I, I wouldn't write Newcastle off as being on the beach just yet, Kev. I mean, I think, uh, as alluded to earlier, you know, Steve Bruce has really got something to prove uh, there. And uh, I think he'll be he'll be scrapping for every available point. And uh, it's always a tough place to go, obviously. And they if they if he can take them into the top 10. Uh, I, I think that would be a tremendous achievement for him. So, it's again, it's a game that where we. Uh, we need to be very careful, um, and uh, I, I could see it. I can see that one going either way. Unfortunately, I, I think there's an awful lot of uh, temptation on a, on a part of our players to sort of think that oh, we we won the North London Derby, therefore we can ease off a little bit because. Uh, uh, but yeah, as you say, that's it. the Newcastle game away is uh, always a, always a difficult one, and and uh, and really could could be a bit of a banana skin for us. Yeah, especially as you say, if we think we've turned the corner rather than actually yeah. turning the corner <laughs> after the, the North London Derby there. All right, we will wrap things up there. If you'd like to tell folks where they could find you or anything you're working on, now would be a good time. Yeah, you can get me on Twitter. I'm at Jamie Smith Sport, where I'll continue tweeting far too much during Burnley games and really annoying everyone. Uh, and thanks again for having me on, Kev. Uh, you can get me at Steve McGookin on Twitter or uh, New York Spurs at New York Spurs. Uh, and just before I go, I'd just like to uh, acknowledge the the passing of, of Jack Charlton uh, this week. Um, the man had a, just an amazing career, World Cup winner with England and, and obviously beloved in Ireland for his World Cup adventures and accomplishments as, as their manager. And that it occurred to me this week, you know, that, that era of the 70s and 80s, that was that was the era that I grew up watching and falling in love with football, and it's gradually thinning uh, as it must. I suppose the greats are the greats are leaving us. The game's changing in ways that they would find strange, to say the least. Sort of particularly in the the dominance of money and and what the widening divide between rich and poor teams is doing to the structure of the game. So. Uh, so yes, um, uh, thanks for the memories, Jack. And hopefully, you know, when when the game starts to come out of this current challenge, we won't have irreparably damaged football at all its competitive le- levels um, on, on the altar of, of financial greed. But I, mean, I suppose that's a whole that's a whole hour's discussion in itself. So thanks again. Yeah, very touching. Uh, I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at Kevroff. Obviously, the show is at EPL Roundtable. Also, check out the championship podcast that we do. That's still going on. Things getting really tight there. Uh, so check that out. Also, uh, Jamie and I were both on the Bundesliga show that we had for a while. Obviously, that season is over, but you can go check out our season recap at Bundesliga Pod. And then obviously, all of these uh, come out also through uh, EPL Index. So that's like a list of like five things to follow. So go do that, please. And then, of course, these two fantastic guys as well. Uh, so yeah, thanks again for coming on. 
It was a pleasure as always. And folks at home, we hope you keep listening. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com.